If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here. And I want to say happy Super Bowl Sunday. Happy Valentine's week. Valentine's Day is Tuesday, I believe. Just a little reminder in case you need it. My family and I, we tried to go out to dinner last night. Did anybody go out to dinner on Saturday night? We went to five different restaurants. At the sixth one, we were able to get a table. It was crazy, so maybe make some reservations. <laughs> Next Sunday, I'm super excited. Jay and I, my husband and I, we're going to be doing Q&A for week two of this Navigating Relationship series. Um, so we're going to put a QR code on the screen for you. If you have any questions about relationships, whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever the thing may be, you're a teenager, whatever questions you have, go ahead and scan this QR code with your camera app on your phone, and you can submit an anonymous question. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, just answering those together next Sunday. I was saying to someone, it is going to be hard to have your marriage not thrive right now at Hope because we have EXO, amazing. We have this Navigating Relationship series, come on. And then at Family Nights, we're going to be going to the next level in our relationships as well. So we're super excited about that. So today is week one of navigating relationships. I'm so glad you're here for today. When I was in high school, my husband and I around 2003, 2004, we liked to go sailing with his grandpa. And in fact, I'm going to bring my husband out here right now because he's got some sailing stories he's going to share in a second. Come on out here, Jay. Good Representing morning. the Cowboys. And so, Penn State, Michael Parsons. We are Penn State. <laughs> so we would go sailing together in high school. You and your grandpa did like your whole life, right? Yep, from then, the age of three. Then you invited me, first woman to go with you guys. That and is true. A sailboat. It's <laughs> a little bit like, a little bit like camping at night. Oh, you are so underselling this. Okay, <laughs> when you go sailing. <laughs> You, you sleep on the boat like you sleep on a camper. And these guys are so nice. They would take the couches and give me the bed at the front of the boat. And the way that you get in the bed, there's like this little thing you crawl through. And you slide your body down in there. And it's, it's kind of like a coffin, actually. Or a hammock. A coffin. Hammock, much more enjoyable. You know, you're surrounded on top. Like a crib. And you're surrounded on the sides. There's like one little access above your head, but you can't see it. And so... <laughs> While you're sleeping, if you're not tied to a dock, you want to make sure that you're anchored because you might go to sleep on one side of Lake Ontario and then you'll drift somewhere that you never intended to go. And so Jay and I, we would go with his grandpa, affectionately known as Grandpa Hook, because why? Because he had a hook. Um, when Captain he was, Hook. Yes, Captain Hook by the sailing group. And, I think uh, that like predisposes you to be a sailor. Like you might as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he had other qualities, and I'll explain in a minute. Uh, but he lost his arm from here uh, all the way down when he was 18 due to a fanboat accident. So he always, sounds terrible. Yeah, but he engineered his sailboat to be able to sail it with one hand, and then with the first mate, me. Yeah, so we used to like to go sailing on the Thousand Islands region yep. on Lake Ontario, and we have some pictures for you. This first one is, look at those two cuties, 20 years ago. We showed our son this picture, and he's, he's five. <laughs> and he's like, why are you guys wearing those white uniforms? <laughs> I'm like, we thought we looked cool. These are our sailing outfits. I think we did have sailing jackets at one point that had our names on them, some other that sailors. That were the same maroon color as that tarp. Yeah, 
Next picture. <laughs> this is the boat heeling over in the wind. Super fun. A little choppy on the waters. We have one more picture, I think. There's Jay. His favorite pastime on the boat is sleeping. <laughs> because it's so cozy. And you got those really solid like calves going on right there in this picture. Calves don't lie. <laughs> they're like they're like tree trunks. Just keep you they standing are. right up. That's my defining feature to this day. So. <laughs> I like them. They're nice. All right. So I asked Jay to share with us his best anchor stories. So, so go ahead. Tell us. It was a Thousand Island trip. Um, we had actually just left the Canadian shore, and we were going to be sailing all day. We get out to this island. It's nearly cut in half by this cove, and we throw the anchor out. We get you know, secure. Everything's good. We're in for the night. Uh, we're exhausted, so we just go to sleep. We don't really see anything. We got in right as uh, dusk hit. But your anchor's secure. Everything was good to go. We you wake go up bed. like at dawn, and we see that not only is the anchor um, just on shore, like not really submerged by anything, uh, neither is the boat. We're just grounded. So the tide had gone out and we didn't realize how shallow that water was so anchor was doing nothing for us at that moment so you're sailing on dry land yeah yeah you just wait for the tide so we had to, to wait back. yep we had to wait for the tide to come in and then pull the anchor up uh, that's the, funny that never happened when i was on the trip no we made sure of it i'm really good at sailing <laughs> there were a lot of things that happened on the trip you were on that like we were just safer, so. Perfect. We'll yeah. save those stories for yes. another week. Um, what about your next anchor story? This was, we always sailed with a group of about eight to ten other sailboats, and we would always, uh, day, day one, day two, always stick together or meet up, depending on everybody's schedule. And so the first night, we are uh, going into a cove. Everybody's getting ready. Everybody's throwing their anchors in, making room. So we all got to watch for each other, and we see... Um, one crew, one guy throws his anchor out and everything's going and he's telling his wife, you know, hey, put the motor in reverse and he's backing up. They motor keep in going. the reverse to make sure your anchor so that, is So that, like, yeah, stuck. it grabs and it holds. Like, and he's just watching, watching, watching. And then you see the rope just fall off. He never tied it to the bow. Oh, shoot. Day one loses his anchor. That That's, anchor was secure. <laughs> that anchor the was boat secure. Was not. The boat was not. There was nothing tied to the anchor. And then that didn't happen to us, but... The second, my favorite story with an anchor was I was about 10 years old and I was at the tiller and that's at the stern at the back of the boat, uh, steering the boat. And my grandfather's at the, at the bow and he's got the anchor and he's kind of coaching me like, hey, go over here, do this, do that. Was that your first time steering the boat? No, he was, he's just the captain. So he okay. got to Very be direct. Uh, so he's like, all right, let's do this. And he's like, this is a good spot. And he throws it. And in midair, then he became a sailor, and he swore like a sailor, because he realized he never put the chain <laughs> attached to the anchor. Bye-bye, anchor. there it goes. <laughs> and he was an engineer, so that was a store-bought anchor. The next year, we had, like, this monstrosity of an anchor that, like, would have... He welded together. Oh, my, yeah. he, he fabricated it. Fabricated it, cut it. And uh, it was, it was, uh, everybody was jealous of that anchor because it could have held down like a, a Titanic ship. So. As long as it's connected. As long as it was connected. So, and then I'm 10 and I'm like, I'm not sure what to do at this point. So, always a good time with Grandpa Hook. Thank you so much for your anchor stories. <laughs>
so fun. Well, today, you might have guessed it, today's talk is called Anchored. Tell the person next to you, Anchored. You know if an anchor isn't securely attached, you'll drift, right? And if our soul, which is our mind, our will, and emotions, if our soul isn't securely attached to God, we drift too, right? We get kind of tossed around in life. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for identity. Sometimes we're looking for love because we need something outside of ourselves to attach to. And we're going to look at the word of God today, starting in Hebrews 6:19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Maybe you guys have this on a little, you know, plaque or pillow in your house with an anchor on it. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So what's he saying here? This hope is an anchor for our soul. This hope, this security in God is an anchor for our mind, our thoughts, our will, what we do and don't do, and our emotions. And he's saying, we don't put our hope in nothing. We don't put our hope in hope for hope's sake because it's just good to hope. We don't put our hope in our best efforts or other people or our job or our family. We put our hope in Jesus. He's our firm foundation. He's our solid rock. And when, when we sink our anchor in him, we might be tossed around by the waves a little bit, but our anchor keeps us on course. And he's with us through the hard times. He's our anchor, he's firm and secure, that verse says. And the Greek here actually means secure and secure. So he's doubly secure, the most secure of any being or anything you could hook your anchor to. So if we look at this passage in context, Paul is talking to the people and he's telling them about how God promised Abraham he would bless him. And he said, you know, generations, all people will be blessed through you. And it was a promise. And then he's talking about how when Jesus came, he fulfilled that promise. He made it possible for us to be blessed, to receive everything that he earned at the cross. And then he says, Jesus, our forerunner, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So when Jesus died, the temple veil was torn in two. That was what kept us separated from God. And no longer did we have to be priests to access God. No, no, no. We can come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy when we need it. Come on. So as if that's not enough, we also have the Holy Spirit living within us. Romans 5.5, 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. It can't disappoint you. Impossible. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can know without a doubt that he loves us because he filled us with his love. And he doesn't just fill us, he fills us to overflowing. Yeah. I want to borrow something from Pastor Dave. I think he says it like this. God thought it. He promised it, the blessing to Abraham. Jesus bought it. He redeemed us at the cross and the Holy Spirit taught it. So God thought it. Jesus bought it. The Holy Spirit taught it. And so the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us what it means to be loved as children of God who are made in his image, who God says at the beginning of time are very good. Children who, because of our hope in him, we find freedom, we find healing from past wounds and insecurities. Children who are being transformed into the image of Jesus. And we see ourselves as God sees us. 
We're loved based on our relationship with him, not based on conditions, not based on what we do, but who we are because of Jesus. And God, in his very essence, he models for us what a securely attached relationship looks like. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He says, I will never change. Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, you know, he follows through on everything. He's like, I'm not a man that I should lie. No, 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 no. All his promises because of Jesus are yes and amen. He's our solid rock. We can put our anchor in him. And when we're anchored to God, we can have healthy relationships with other people. And psychologists, they call this being a secure connector. Tell the person next to you, secure connector. We're securely anchored in God. And so we can be secure when we relate to other people. And this could be our spouse, but it could be our children. It could be the people that we work with, our friends, our family. We want to be secure connectors. And when we're secure, we communicate our feelings and our needs. We apologize when we're wrong. We set boundaries and we're able to say no when people put unhealthy demands on us or maybe even just demands we can't meet. We take risks. We embrace change. And when we're upset, secure connectors get comfort from God and other people rather than coping mechanisms. You know, all of us, though, feel insecure at times because of the way that we attach to our primary caregivers growing up, whether we were comforted by them or maybe they just didn't know how to comfort us. And comforted meaning they held us when we were going through something hard, so comfort involves physical touch. Comfort meaning they spoke words that actually validated and helped us feel better and comforted meaning we did feel better, those three things. And only 25% of us actually have a memory of being comforted like that as children. I don't have one of those memories. My parents were amazing, but they didn't know how to comfort me. And depending on how you were comforted, that forms your attachment style. Early in life, we create a sort of navigational chart for our future relationships. It's got directional markers. That's what these things are on the stage. You might have been wondering. These are nautical directional markers. Can we give it up for our props team? This is so good. And these markers tell us where the waves are. There's latitude and longitude. There's depth. But if your map is missing some things, then you're not going to get where you need to go to. And in this series, we're creating a new map in the truth of God's word that will set you up for success in all of your relationships. So in order to move forward, we're going to go back. We're going to look at our imprint formed in childhood. 25% um, of us are secure connectors. Most of us, though, the other 75%, we lean towards one or a combination of three other attachment styles. And that's what we're going to spend most of our time on today. Some of us keep a comfortable distance in relationships. When you're worried about your relationships, you probably tell yourself, well, I don't really need closeness, and you kind of stuff your feelings. Those are called avoiders. Some of us spend a lot of time and energy trying to please people. When you're worried, you might reach out and text someone that you care about. Maybe you text them like 10 times just to make sure that they're okay. These are called pleasers. And some of us, we alternate between both. Sometimes we avoid, sometimes we please. When you feel distance in a relationship, you'll try to pull someone towards you, 
But when they get close, you'll reject it. That's called a vacillator. And as adults, we're responsible for our own lives. We're responsible for our own character, not our parents. So it's up to us to appreciate the good things that they gave us in our foundation and to forgive them for the ways that they didn't love us well. We want to grow past our childhood imprints and we want to adopt, accept, believe, trust the truth of who we are because of Jesus. We are children of God. So we're going to look at the three attachment styles in 1 Samuel with the story of King David. And along with David, there's his best friend, Jonathan, his wife, Michal, and his father-in-law, Saul. And we're going to start with Jonathan. He's our secure connector. And if you're taking notes, point one today is secure connectors are secure in God. They're secure in God. If you're anchored in him, man, that is the starting point for everything else. It's foundational to all your other relationships. You know, no human can ever totally be relied upon 100%, even in our best efforts. So we, we've got to know that we can place our hope, our anchor in God. Jonathan, he trusted God so much that when the enemies were camped out across the way, he's like, we can go defeat those guys. And so he took one man, he took his armor bearer, and then he trusted God. He went to the other side and they went after the enemy army. Like he trusted God that much that two guys will go after a whole army. 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love that. He believed in God. And the armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan believed God to the point where he was secure in taking a risk and taking a risk because he knew that God was going to follow through. He knew that God would give them victory. And out of that confidence in God, he was then able to trust other people. Point two is secure connectors are trusting. So we're secure in God and we're trusting other people. We're able to freely give of ourselves without requiring anything in return. We can attach to others at deep levels without losing our identity. We can love well. This is 1 Samuel 18, 4. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, he made a covenant with him. He formalized it with solemn gifts, his own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. He made a covenant with David. He made a commitment to David. When you're a secure connector, you can be secure in committing to other people. The ultimate covenant, the ultimate commitment is marriage. Choosing to be vulnerable, attached to, secure in a relationship with another person for the rest of your life. To be trusting them. And not only was he trusting, Jonathan was also trustworthy. And that's the third point. Secure connectors are trustworthy. His armor bearer, remember he said, yeah, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. He trusted him because he had done life with him. And he knew that if Jonathan was going to do it, man, he wanted to go with him. He knew that Jonathan would have victory. King Saul, he had five kids. Jonathan was just one of them. But out of all his kids, uh, Jonathan's the only one that the Bible says also had a sword. Saul had a sword. Jonathan had a sword. No one else in the entire country had a soul, a sword. <laughs> I hope they had souls. <laughs> that would be like the last of us or something crazy like that. 
I've never seen it, but I've heard stories. All right, King Saul, he trusted Jonathan so much that he trusted him with half of the army. He didn't trust any of his other kids that way. He trusted him so much that when he was going to kill David, Jonathan came to him and he's like, whoa, 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 I need to talk to you, Dad. We see it in 1 Samuel 19.4. Jonathan brought up David with his father, speaking well of him. Please, he said to his father, don't attack David. He hasn't wronged you, has he? Look at all the good he's done. He put his life on the line when he killed the Philistine. What a great victory God gave Israel that day. You were there. You saw it and you were on your feet applauding with everyone else. So why would you even think of sinning against an innocent person, killing David for no reason whatsoever? And then Saul listened to Jonathan. I love it so much. Jonathan saved his dad from making a terrible mistake. And he saved his friend in that moment too by saying, no, 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 I'm secure in my relationship with God. I got to talk to you about this because this is a bad idea. And that's, he's talking to his dad. Talk about risking relationship. Secure connectors are secure in God so they can be counted on to do the right thing to help other people. Here's the other three attachment styles. The first one is the avoider. Avoider. And we see this in David's wife, Michal. This is also King Saul's daughter. So lots of relational ties here. Avoiders come from homes that are often low in affection, but have high value on being self-reliant and independent. If you're an avoider, you probably think, man, why can't everybody else be like me? Why has everybody else got to be so emotional all the time? Maybe emotions make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe growing up, you know, your parents just didn't know how to comfort you. They were good people, but they just didn't comfort you. So now you're like, ah, I don't really do the whole emotions thing. And when someone comes to you with their emotions, you kind of just pass them off, kind of avoid. Um, if you're an avoider, you're probably really good at work, really good at doing things at church, really good at helping and serving people, but not so good at relating to them. And here's the thing, with God, if you're an avoider, you probably connect to him intellectually, but not emotionally. And he designed you to do both. When you only connect with God intellectually, you miss out on intimacy. When you only connect to him intellectually, you miss out on the intimacy that he has for you. He wants to step into your emotional world. He wants to be with you in your feelings. And if you're an avoider, the truth that you need to meditate on today is Ecclesiastes 3.1. It says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep. Yep, a time to weep. When's the last time you did that? A time to laugh. It's good to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Remember, God created everything beautiful in its time. I love that it says a time to dance because David's wife, Michal, when David came home from a great victory, He's dancing before the Lord with all his might, so much so that, you know, some of his clothes shaked off and he was, you know, his undergarments were visible. So that's like, whoa, that is some intense dancing. And here's what happened. Her husband came home. He wants to celebrate with her. He's enjoying life and celebrating. 2 Samuel 6.20, when David returned home to bless his family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, she came out to meet him. And she said and discussed how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person 
might do. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't it sad when we do that in our relationships? David's coming to bless his family, to bless his wife. He's coming to bring good things. And instead of receiving the blessing, she's embarrassed. She's disgusted. My attachment style leans towards that of an avoider. Growing up, like I said, I had a great family. They came to all the things. Great middle-class family. Didn't want for anything. Super loved, super protected from anything that could hurt me. But we just didn't talk about feelings in our house. And we didn't show affection. If you've hugged me before, you know I'm a bad hugger. It's like hugging a tree or something. Because we didn't grow up doing that. And this is a pattern that I continued until I found freedom in Jesus. And you know, I don't get it perfectly every time, but my attachment style is not an excuse to stay stuck in a broken pattern. Come on. It's an invitation to be a secure connector. Can anybody relate? How many of y'all think maybe it could be an avoider? I understand some of the things you're saying, Pastor. All right, the rest of you, your attachment style is coming. Next is the pleaser attachment style, and this one is King David. And I know before you're all like, yeah, I'm the king. Just listen. If you're a pleaser, you probably grew up with an overly protective or maybe critical parent. And you actually had to comfort them. Like they were always worried about you. You know, so you would kind of care for them. You would check the temperature in the room, check the emotional temperature, see how they're doing, and provide comfort. Pleaser children do everything they can to be the good kid to avoid troubling their parents. Maybe your parents were dealing with a lot of problems, maybe from another child or a medical issue in the family, and they just weren't available. And so you're like, I'm going to be the good kid. I'm not going to cause them any problems. You know, I'm going to make them happy. And if you're a pleaser, you probably have trouble saying no. Now, avoiders, the primary emotion that they feel is nothing. Pleasers, the primary emotion that they feel is worry. Worry. You're worried about people. When it comes to relating to God, you might feel like the weight of the relationship is on you. And you might think sometimes, is God pleased with me? And you kind of worry, am I making him happy? I want to tell you today, the thing is, you don't have to try so hard because on your own, you could never please God anyway. You know that? On your own, you could never please God anyway. But Jesus did what we could not do, and we can rest in what he's already done. When you trust in Jesus, God is pleased with you, just like he was pleased with Jesus right when he was baptized, before he started his ministry, before he did any miracles, before he went to the cross, before he did anything. Just as his son, God was pleased with him. We'll see it in Luke 3.22. This is the truth that you need today. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. People of hope, you are the son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We need to get that in our spirit because that's the truth of what God says. We look at King David. We know he's a pleaser because King Saul kept trying to kill him. And instead of setting up a boundary, David kept trying to please him. 
1 Samuel 18.10, David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. He suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. David escaped him twice. You know what that means? He almost got killed once, and then he went back, and the same thing happened. That's how I know he was a pleaser. He didn't say, whoa, Saul, that's not okay, man. You know, I'm not going to play any more music for you if you're going to keep trying to kill me. No, he went back for more. Pleasers will continue to pursue relationships with unhealthy people even after they prove that they're not safe because they want to be accepted by them. They want them to be okay. But that's why it's so important to be anchored in Jesus. When you have your security in him, you don't need to please people. Who thinks they're a pleaser? Come on now. Yeah! A lot more of us. Loud and proud. Last one. So if you didn't raise your hand yet, this has got to be you. This is a vacillator, and it's a combination of the other two, where you push away like an avoider, and you pull like a pleaser. And this one is represented by King Saul. And don't worry, just because Saul was crazy, it doesn't mean that you are crazy. He's a really extreme example. If you're a vacillator growing up, your parent was probably a little unpredictable. You didn't know when you would receive comfort, maybe because they were working a lot and they were not available, or maybe, you know, they were going through mood swings or they were abusive. And so as a child, without that constant affection and attention, you felt abandoned. And by the time your parent felt like giving to you again, you were tired of waiting and you were angry. The primary emotion that a vacillator feels is anger and sometimes shame. And if you're a vacillator, you want to get to the sadness beneath the anger. As adults, vacillators are on a quest to find consistent love that they didn't get as kids. And they idealize relationships. They have un unspoken expectations. If you're a vacillator, you probably spend a lot of time in your head and you're disappointed. Because you're like, I had this expectation and it did not turn out that way, you feel disappointed. And to make you feel better, I'm going to tell you, my husband's a vacillator imprint. So you saw him. He's a normal guy. It's okay to be a vacillator. <laughs> but here's the thing. Growing up, his biological father was an alcoholic, and he was abusive to the family. So my husband didn't know, you know, is dad going to love me today or not? He loves me. He loves me not. I don't know what to feel. And, you know, our imprint happens so early on in our childhood, even when other things come along in other relationships, it's still there until we give it to Jesus. You could have a vacillator imprint just because your parent was working a lot, or they were busy with their own trauma in their life, and you felt abandoned. We're not blaming our parents. We're looking at our patterns so we can find security in Jesus. If you're a vacillator, you probably know that God loves you, but you might think, does he actually like me? Like, if he really knew me, I don't think he would like me. And it creates this push-pull in your relationship with God that makes it hard to feel safe with him. When you truly believe that God delights in you, you can start to be securely connected. Here's the promise that you need to start believing. Zephaniah 3:17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is not disgusted with you. He's delighted. He's delighted in you. 
So how was Saul a vacillator? Well, Saul was insecure. He felt threatened by David. Despite David's repeated behavior where David was like, I'll play the harp for you to make you feel better. I'll, delete, I'll, I'll defeat Goliath for you to give us all victory. You know, he repeatedly honored him. And yet, you know, Saul just didn't believe it. He was insecure about it. He's like, no, I know David's saying that, but he couldn't really. He couldn't really love me. He couldn't really be dependable like that. And maybe as you've been listening today, you identify with some of these attachment styles. Who's a vacillator? It's okay, we're in church. It's a safe place. <laughs> maybe you identify with some of these, or maybe you're not sure. This is what we're going to be doing at our family nights. And we're going to put the QR code up on the screen for you. The first one is February 22nd. It's a Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. And how we do family nights, we have all of our adults next door in the gym around discussion tables. And these are based on your season of life. So if you're married, you're with other married couples. If you're single, or you, know, you could be with singles or men or women, depending on where you're at in life, we're going to put you with a group that can relate to you. Because... Man, we were made to do life together, not just with God, but attaching to other people. And so we're going to do family nights for seven weeks. It's the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. And it's going to be based on the book, How We Love. The book's called How We Love. You don't have to buy the book. It is helpful. It's a helpful tool to you if you want to. It's by Milan and Kay Yurkovich. It's How We Love. And we're going to look through, what is my attachment style? You know, we're going to take a little assessment that says, oh, this is what you lean towards. And we're going to learn how to be secure in God together. We're going to find freedom together. It's going to be so good. The staff team and I did this last summer, and a couple people said, this literally changed my life. Like, I had no idea. It changed me. It's so good. No matter your attachment style, you can become a secure connector. Jonathan's a really good example of someone who overcame their upbringing. I mean, if you think about it, King Saul was his dad. Okay, so he was dealing with a lot, you know, not exactly available to give Jonathan comfort or support him when he's trying to kill his best friend. And his sister was Michal. She's an avoider, so she definitely didn't comfort him. His family wasn't the greatest. He didn't have a great start. They weren't super healthy but he chose to anchor his life in God. How do we know that? 1 Samuel 23, 16. Jonathan, Saul's son, visited David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. So when his dad's trying to kill David, Jonathan makes a special trip to go see him for one purpose, to encourage him in God. Man, if you're not secure in God, why would you ever do that? He's so secure that not only does he feel it, but it's overflowing to David. He's like, I have security to give away. And I know the one solution to help you in this situation is God. No matter your history, no matter your story, God rewrites it. You're a child of God and he's a good father. He doesn't change. You can trust him. He's a solid rock. Jesus told a story about a prodigal son. It shows us we can have a secure attachment in God because of who he is, not because of who we are. So it goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son went to him and said, Father, I want my inheritance, which is really offensive. It's like, well, I don't care about you. I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. And the Bible says the father gave him 
his inheritance. And the son went on his way. He spent it, lots of stuff, lots of life's pleasures, until he had nothing left. And then he thought, you know what? My father's servants have a better life than I do. And he's like eating the same kind of food that pigs eat, which is disgusting in their culture, let alone just disgusting. And he's like, I need to go back to my father. And this son had done everything wrong. So he makes his plan to go back and apologize, you know, and say, God, Father, I've sinned against you. And here's what happens, Luke 15, 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father was watching for him. The entire time that he was separated from his father, his father was waiting for him. It didn't matter the choices that he was making because his father loved him. So his father runs to him, and even though his, his son's disgusting, covered in filth, his father embraces him. He loves him. He felt compassion for him. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Here's the thing, the son didn't have to make up for his choices, he didn't have to earn anything like a pleaser. He didn't have to hide his emotions like an avoider. He didn't have to be perfect to receive his father's love. He didn't have to feel shame or guilt. The father loved him, not based on what he did, but based on who the father was. And that father is our father, God, and it, he loves us the same way. And if you don't know him, he has been watching for you. He has been waiting for you to come to him because he wants to love you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to celebrate with you. Our Father in heaven created us to love us. And he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. He has so much love to give away. He wants to love you and fill you to overflowing with his love. He wants to comfort you. He wants you to experience who he really is. He wants to quiet you with his love. And just like the prodigal son, in order to receive his love, all you have to do is come to him. Come to him. Embrace him. Receive. 